Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of comics Marvelous Mutants week after week through their monthly titles. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, we got a jam-packed one for you today. We're kicking things off with an amazing interview featuring Way of X artist Bob Quinn. We had an incredible time talking to him about so many things and we hope you guys enjoy. Hey everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. Now that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Toybox on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, everyone. This is Dante, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Inferno Magic. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. That's P E A K. And we hope you survive this experience. And what a fun experience we have today. Now, everybody probably checked out our super positive coverage about the first issue of way of x and i couldn't be more excited we have half of the creative team that makes those top credits with us today we have bob quinn hey everybody say welcome to bob quinn Woo! yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna celebrate myself that's what's yeah, happening you, sh- you should <laughs> like we should all be steven universe and want to hug ourselves to defeat the bad guys what a wonderful motto to live by celebrate yourself everybody bob quinn for the win yeah, maybe just celebrate me though. Let's think of let's <laughs> that for a moment. <laughs> Would you like us to throw you a parade, something a little festive, maybe some cake? We talk about cake a lot. A gala, perhaps. Use your imagination. You know, whatever, whatever comes to mind. Listen, if we could get ourselves invited to a cake gala, I would be there yesterday. It's just cake and cake and cake. And it's me in like a cool cake tuxedo. And Janelle Monet comes up to me and she's dressed as a cherry cordial. And she's just so excited to be there. Guys, inside my head, it's beautiful. But... Wow, we've gone off the rails sooner than usual, guys. Uh, sooner I don't know. than usual. Show's making me hungry, though. I... <laughs> right? Right. Now, Bob, we're so excited to have you here. Not only because it's always amazing to get to talk to somebody who works on the X-Men titles, which it is, and, you know, hallowed halls they be, but it's also always exciting to get to know a little bit about the artist and sort of their varied career as it relates to who they are. And you've kind of done like a little bit of everything from checking your website, Wikipedia, Google Foo kind of situation. Sure. And you kind of like took a roundabout way to comics. Yeah, super roundabout. I spent a large portion of my time in college. I was a intern at Neil Moritz's production company. I actually like did some stuff on like Triple X and Torque and all that stuff way back in the day. And then finished college, worked for Disney, made video games for like five years there, left there, made video games at THQ for like a year and a half, went back to Disney, worked at Activision, worked at MGA, uh, which are the guys that make like the Bratz dolls, and then eventually found my way to comics. It's it a very circuitous route. When people are like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna make comics for a hot minute, but then I'm going to make video games, right? And you went in a very different direction, and, <laughs> and comics are, you know, thrilled to have you here. And Wave X was such a big debut, and I know that 
Jonah is like our biggest Nightcrawler fanboy. And it was such a long time coming for this debut issue. Yes, so uh, my devotion to Kurt knows no bounds. <laughs> I have even tattooed him on my body because Incredible. he is a character that I guess I just see a lot of myself in. And he's a very special character to me. So being able to see this beautiful story of what I think is a, I personally love of a this idea of a really great progression to what his character is, is really fulfilling almost everything I could ever ask for. The only thing I could, oh, the only other thing I ever asked for is I bang pots and pans how I want to put Elsa Bloodstone into every single comic that you could ever fit in. But that is neither here nor there. <laughs> I literally just, I just reread Next Wave Agents of Hate. Oh my, okay. That's fucking Liter- book. Literally finished it two nights ago and I was just like, this is just the best book that ever happened. The captain is my goddamn hero. Like, I mean, <laughs> if I could just walk around blitzed like the captain though all the time it is it is where i have discovered my love for miss tabitha smith my boom boom and it Mm -hmm. has my favorite quote of all time which is you know i grew up in a trailer don't use that fancy math at me and (laughs) perfection but um my first question is about uh your artistic take when it comes to writing different characters you've written captain america you've done the defenders what drawn oh drawn i am so sorry no no let's let let us give full credit to size courier (laughs) for the for the writing here because he did an incredible job yes yes, i'm sorry (laughs) i even like talked i'm like you know if you ever make a mistake on air just remember that i'm going to repair it in editing so like one what is your artistic approach to writing drawing a drawing why do i keep saying writing i don't know just just start the whole question for me cutie pie you're so great (laughs) your artistic approach to drawing and what it means how what is your approach when drawing different characters and setting helping set that tone for the book that you're drawing for you know writing for captain america or way of x or the defenders <laughs> Keep all of this, please. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Let's just let's. let's you, don't, you don't get any redos. Not with me. We're, I'm going to talk about how I wrote this book. This guy stinks. Taking all my credits. He gave me a script. I threw it in the trash. Set it on fire. Made my own book. And that's why you love it. No. That actually happened to Brian Bendis on Daredevil Ninja. So don't joke. No, I've heard about these things. I'm a member of a couple of. Whisper networks on Twitter, not, not, not really, but like, but you know, it's uh, you'll hear stories about how a artist goes. You know what? There's not enough punching in this issue, and then they just throw the whole thing out and then just draw whatever the heck they feel like. And um, I pride myself on being somebody who can read a script and do what it tells me. <laughs> I'm very proud of your use of your eyes. Thank you, thank you. You're very welcome. Largely, what I look for is sort of the mood of the scene, and I try to understand as much as I can where. All the different characters' headspaces are, right? Like, uh, the, the thing I've gotten the most critical praise for, which uh, obviously I very much appreciate, is that the, a lot of people said that the acting on the characters was very good. So I'd like to think that's I'm pretty decent at that. So I try to inhabit the, the headspace more than anything else of the different people that I'm drawing and then attempt as best as possible to really make sure that they're, you know, emoting properly. I sort of understand their personality such that... And, and also the physicality of the, of the characters as well. You know, so that they're moving around the page and you know bouncing around or you know looking more solid and grumpy and stuff like that it's all very character focused some people were complaining that my kurt was too skinny and i was like he's 5'9 150 he's not he's not stacked what are you doing he's a skinny boy he's a trapeze artist settle down so and and you know it's so it's it's stuff like that that is sort of how i uh i tend to approach the uh the, the drawing 
you sound uncomfortably like you belong on our show. So this like, <laughs> makes a lot of sense to me now. Yes. Like you're like, this is his build. Do you understand? Not everybody can fit your overmuscled steroid needs, guys. Like yeah, I geez. love this. <laughs> I agree. See, this is good. This is a great show. I'm glad to be a part of it. <laughs> We're glad to have you. Yeah. I need to talk to you about Dr. Nemesis immediately. Oh, yes. <laughs> because wow. I, I mean, is he as fun to draw as he is to look at? And oh. where did the idea come from for the the mushroom fungal fade? And just please talk to us about Doctor Nemesis yeah, and so all of it. He's he's totally uh, a laugh. Like I I really really love him because he's so self important, right? Like the mm-hmm. whole thing. And and so you get you get to do so many fun things with his facial expressions. You know, like the, the, the like the big arched eyebrows, the sort of squinty eyes as he looks at you and stuff like that. Like that. That that kind of character is always somebody I I really really love. Now the the look of Doctor Nemesis because he's you know for those of you who have not read the issue first shame on you but second of all you should definitely be reading it. Third of it's all, it's a you thing exactly. So um, the the script actually said you know he pulls off his hat and there beneath is this this is this beautiful quaff of mushrooms right and so there was a little bit of back and forth. I was like how how crazy are we talking here because initially. I was like, well, this is this is this is a proper gentleman, right? So he's not going to look like some kind of weird schlub with like crazy, you know, crazy hair going all over the place. So, um, Cyanide kind of back and forth a little bit, and then he eventually sent by. I don't, I don't know the name of the model, but he's sort of an older gentleman with a, with a, a very nicely manicured beard and sort of that cool floppy hair that uh, all the the soccer players have. And I was like, cool, yes, exactly what I was thinking. So like we were very in sync on that. So it just kind of became, how do you arrange mushrooms in a way that that is both disturbing but also sort of nice looking. <laughs> it's a tight fade. It's yeah, a tight no, fade. I, I'm very I follow this mushroom. guy's very gay thoughty Insta. I would be very <laughs> about it. This is some serious 45-year-old Dilf hair. <laughs> Who totally appreciates that he has gay followers and straight followers and all kinds of followers. He's very cool like that. Oh, absolutely. yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, he's here, he's, here, he's here to tick a box for every demographic. Well, we're here to have him ticked. I mean, yeah. you know, I've Let's go. him in <laughs> X Club and the Fraction Run. He's just such a great, fun character. Yeah. And he's somebody that I sort of assumed would get lost to the annals of the Krakoan age. But to see him so uh, bear such fruit in this title <laughs> is... It's pretty exciting just to see him be a part of this age. I can't tell you what's happening in the future, but there is a moment in issue three that is it's it will delight. I I promise we there he has a good time. We have and we have a good time with him. I promise we're already in pre-delight. Oh, good. (laughs) We're in a pre-delight phase. Prepare for full delight. Yeah. I don't even know when the next issue comes out. (laughs) Uh, next week, I just found out, or I just hey. saw Cy Spurrier was tweeting about that. Oh, okay, great. Well, go. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I get, I don't know, I haven't even read the first one yet. <laughs> oh my God. Listeners, don't do what he's doing. Don't do what Bob Quinn's don't doing. Be go like read me. Way of X. Make better choices. Don't be Bob. Bye, Bob. It's a very exactly. much uh, do as I say, not as I do. Exactly. Look, when look when you're as busy and and important uh, comic book artist as I am, it's very difficult and uh, hard to actually get out to the stores and buy these books. I'm very Especially famous. People are throwing you. parades for you. Exactly. There's a whole reason I come on these podcasts is to get more parades. <laughs> <laughs> just like just like the gays in the '80s, just wanting parades all the time. So. <laughs> 
And, you know, I do want to just mention that I loved your art in the book. It was super beautiful. And Thank I you. want everyone just to know that as a guy who has a Giuseppe Comuncoli, like, hanging in my in my office next to me, cover is beautiful, and it's Comuncoli, and it's just so fucking good. It's a very jarring composition between the cover and the interior in a really good way. And I definitely, you know, if you're not a big Camo fan, still check this book out because the interiors are totally different and it's super spectacular. Yeah, it's the the book is is a, is an interesting one, right? Because you know when when you think X Men, you think like, oh man, Danger Room, Karate Kicks, you know, Magneto blowing up the world and stuff like that. But this is a this is a a very introspective book, which has mm-hmm. been really uh, an interesting challenge from like a from an art perspective, right? Because like, how do you keep something like that? My hope, at the very least, is that I've been able to sort of draw the characters in a way that is going to be engaging and sort of draw you into their inner lives as they're you know because because kurt's dealing with a ton of really crazy stuff right now like krakoa though it is like a paradise island has a lot of really weird idiosyncrasies Mm -hmm. (laughs) about it right so and and here we have like this guy who's struggling and searching for answers as to how to unify all of these people behind one ideal is it a religion is it just sort of a, a a a common purpose right like and here here is this this you know this little kind of fuzzy blue elf guy trying to trying to solve all these problems i don't know it's 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 a really fascinating book and again it's it's we do like it gets weirder like it, it by by issue two and issue three we, we we get into some really 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 bizarre places i mean obviously as we've seen you know legions in there now so it's it's only going to get weirder <laughs> We went in expecting it to be, uh, okay, this is the book where Nightcrawler is going to explore religion. And then it felt like you guys even subverted those expectations when somebody's asking Kurt about religion and he's like, I really should not have even said that to anybody. It just feels like we're going to get into some heavy water, but not in a very straightforward way like this might end up being about religion but that's not its clear intention and i like that you're sort of like creating this contract of like sometimes krakoa is xanadu and sometimes it's overlook hotel the island it's that strong dynamic that is inherent to Cy spurrier's work on x-men whether it's his legacy or it's his x club the guy writes a heavy book and like you guys are saying it's it, excuse me, I just burped really into the microphone. Wow, I, guess I, I didn't even hear it. Oh, cool. I just drew attention to it for no reason. A really... Well, everybody, layered. let's burp into the microphone so that Nico doesn't have to feel bad. <laughs> Nobody went with me on that. We're supposed to yes and people. Oh, oh you, you, didn't, you didn't hear me. <laughs> oh, no, I did. I, I love how dainty that was. Well, I, you didn't hear me. <laughs> I, was, I was trying I'm to Jonah. yes and... I'm Jonah. I was yes anding. That is... <laughs> All right. Well, I was about to turn the mic to. I was about to be like Dante, ask a question, but that's the. I'm just gonna cut it around that. <laughs> like that's that's um, the segue. I get probably the best segues in this show. It seems like every time. <laughs> Bob, I think another thing that really draws a lot of folks, me in particular, to the book is that it's it's really highlighting, showcasing a lot of characters that we feel like have not gotten their due in the era of Krakoa. Um, so obviously, Kurt, uh, Doctor Nemesis was really exciting to see. So I'm wondering. Uh, who is your favorite character to draw and why is it Pixie? Uh, it is Pixie. You are correct. <laughs> no, that, you're right. No, uh, because uh, 
I so here's here's my dirty dirty secret as an X Men artist is that I was not a big comic book reader as a kid. I read a lot of comic strip stuff. So like, uh, you know, when normal kids were getting like golden books read to them for bedtime stories, my dad was reading me Mad Magazine. So like, all the guys I looked up to were like, um, Mort Drucker and Dave Berg and Duck Edwing and Al Jaffe and like all those guys, right? Don Martin. So I didn't read a ton of X Men growing up, but I did read a bunch of the Academy X stuff. And I came in during the uh, the quest for magic when Scotty Young was drawing. And the that, that first storyline wasn't like super pixie heavy, but she was in there and I was like, oh wow, she's really cool, right? And then that sort of, uh, uh, for whatever reason, the, the, the torturing of these adorable children... <laughs> became something that I guess I sort of was reading. So, um, but yeah, Pixie's great. She's super cool. She's a lot of fun to draw. And uh, I've I've been told by some of the editors that I might draw their favorite Pixie. So get ready. She's in there. She's fun. And yes, she is the best to draw. This is correct. And we had Scotty Young on the show recently and actually talked to him about creating that arc. Mm -hmm. And uh, he gave us a really great tidbit, which was, when they asked him to do it, he didn't know that when an artist starts a book, they don't just redesign the whole book top to bottom. No one <laughs> told him that. Mm-hmm. So he got the assignment on like a Wednesday and by Friday he had recreated all of the characters and was just glad he got the approval. But like his dramatic departure in style was just him thinking that they, that's what you're supposed to do. Well, no, but that that was the thing that actually really drew me to that part of the arc was that like these were supposed to be kids and he was the first person drawing them like teenagers, right? Like yeah. they looked young. And, yeah. I, and I think that really, for, for me at least, really heightened a lot of what was happening, right? Like, okay, cool. These are fun kids. Oh boy, they're going to go to hell now, right? Like <laughs> there's, there's a lot for children to take on. So, um, so to that end, I tend to like that stuff, right? Like I grew up on the Goonies, right? Kids Against the World is one of my... My favorite genres of movie and story to tell. So um, w- when I'm when I'm given the opportunity to draw a younger character, I'm I'm going to take it right because they're already up against more. Right? It it leads to more heightened drama when they're in danger because it's like, well, this is this is a young person. They're not super. You know, th- this isn't this isn't Cable. Right? He hasn't been dealing with a million years of war and turmoil. Right? Like this is somebody who's supposed to be sheltered and protected and, and l- l- like let them enjoy their childhood. No, none of these kids got to enjoy their childhood it's all I, terrible all the time pause I, I am casting you as cable in whatever i write um <laughs> that was cable the musical that was cable the musical <laughs> yeah and, and you get that joke because we've spoken so um that's kate yeah that was that was right up there that was spectacular <clears throat> yeah I, I, have, I have many many varied talents you'll find for a moment there i felt like we were interviewing nico when you like dropped in your cable voice i was like honestly yeah that's what i loved about it <laughs> <laughs> i'm a very easy man give me peanut butter and make me laugh it, it's it's pretty good Oh, uh, boy. I love that you brought up the Scotty Young era because, you know, it is so important to recognize that the X-Men is full of, for lack of a better term, beautiful ugly. I mm. love my ugly, right? Like, I have a, a number of um, a number of my favorite characters are characters that everybody's like, yeah, you just like them because they're hideous. Like, I'm obsessed with Maggot, and I just think Eni and Meanie are the greatest things in the world. <laughs> and there is something so special about making ugly beautiful. And that's something that this book had going for it. 
most of the X-Men, especially early on in their iterations throughout the 1960s and 70s, focused on the most loveliest freaks you've ever seen in your life. Oh no, his wings are too beautiful and soft, and if you rub them, it might feel good. I don't know. Like, Angel wasn't the sort of freak we needed, and this book really dared to deform physicality with the sort of um, gazelle antelope giraffe lady and her distended limbs. And it was something that was really different than a lot of the prettier X books. Was there like a specific drive to make that sort of beautiful ugly that the X-Men can express, but often kind of gets, you know, pretty down? That one, that one, I mean, I, I think the, I can't speak to the, the initial creation of that character necessarily from like a, like a conceptual standpoint. I can tell you from like the visual standpoint and, and, and a little bit for me, what she represented in the storytelling, because like what, what you had was, so the, the, the character is, as far as I know, unless there's something changed in the writing since like, since I got the script is that the character's name was lost. Right. And a, a big, she comes back later in a pretty significant way that it, it, that is very interesting but like a big part of it was was sort of using her to examine the sort of warrior culture around the crucible obviously which we saw as she got like just you know obviously as all mutants who are depowered do killed right but like to me it it was so much about her about her her pain and you know it's like she she'd already she'd already been living this life of absolute misery due, due to being you know having been gravity neutral and being completely endomorphic right so she, she, her entire body had stretched and then in order to get around she'd actually folded herself into thirds right like her entire body had been folded underneath all of all of her all of her robes and stuff like that and then and then we take her into the crucible and then further abuse her right like it's it's absolutely terrible um so we 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 do that and then bring her back so it's like it speaks to a lot of the complicated nature of of a lot of the stuff that goes on there right like you want to live in valhalla you have to die gloriously on the battlefield and then finally she gets to come back and not be miserable at all was it the right thing to do what is it it uh, did you do the right thing is it good to kill people in this way right like it's it's such a it's such a bizarre question such a bizarre ritual (laughs) like i mean again these things are all set up by that writing team in order to be explored in this way but like i don't know i am i'm i feel very fortunate as, as to be the artist who got to be part of that exploration i don't know it's it's really it's interesting and interesting fun heartbreaking all that stuff I super appreciate hearing you say that, Bob, because I feel like initially when the, the Crucible was introduced into the in the Krakoa era, I just mm-hmm. I kind of felt that way. I was like, this is barbaric and like everyone's just okay with it. And I love that we're finally seeing that a different perspective, another side of it, examining it from another angle, because I, I mean, I I really had a hard time believing that all of the mutants were fine with this. So it's well, nice I mean, to they, see like some of that pushback. No, I mean, they couldn't be right. I bring up Valhalla very specifically, right? Like that's a warrior religion right like mm-hmm. the the entire viking mythos is pantheon and all this stuff was about like going into battle and then dying gloriously and then you get to live in paradise right and like that is literally what like the the more aggressive mutants have established here right they've established like this this ritual killing die gloriously never back down and now you get to live in paradise and it, it's it's very very strange and it, there's no way that somebody like kurt is going to be sitting there going yeah you know what this as as a man of god i'm gonna let's let's not only flaunt you know hold on murder (laughs) we have to correct something i think what you meant was i am not so okay with because that's my german (laughs) accent 
Right. It's just <laughs> slightly south of it's like Alan going in cabaret. So it's you just need to throw in the German and we're all sure. Well, I I was noticing that we were killing people in the crucibles <laughs> and I was very concerned about it. So <laughs> Because it's like, 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 what even is a sore in this in this consideration? You know, yeah, I, no. lo I love that the German became very generalist European. Yes. Yes. Oh, it was perfect. I was told that I was out of I was very excited. Tim Gunn was going to come out and tell me to go to the workstation. It was going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to tell you to make it work, designers. Make it work. <laughs> we Hello, designers. Before. We were doing uh, one of Santino's songs about Andre. Uh, my favorite joke ever. For anybody who's ever seen Project Runway knows who Santino Rice is, maybe from Drag Race. Jonah one time told me this joke, and I think it's the truth. No. What, what, okay, very quickly, what happened was someone said, this person who's working at this Java Juice at this festival looks like Santino Rice, and it turned out to be Santino Rice. <laughs> and we're just like y'all gonna make me google what happened to santino rice <laughs> okay. Uh, history okay so anyways back to the back book to, back to x-men <laughs> yeah oh, this is terrible this actually sounds like a just yeah i know you fit the show too well that's why we're off topic i'm glad Let, let's do it we'll do this weekly i'm down let's go you said that you didn't grow up reading a lot of comics right but i feel like one of the things that's so powerful about this idea uh, you know, if we want to look at the the Morrison definition of super god, or if we want to look at the more definition of sort of like um, uh, like transcendent sigil character, right? I think one of the things about superhero culture is that it's like really proliferated mainstream culture in a lot of ways. Were there any superheroes that like specifically like caught your like cultural eye? Like for me. I got a Green Lantern issue from Pathmark Supermarket when I was like five years old, and now I collect Green Lantern rings, so we can all see how that imprinted on me. Was there any sort of superhero that had a dynamic impact on your understanding of fiction and sort of in that way? Um, I, you know, the 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 thing of it was for me is that I was such a I was such an art kid, right? Like I because I, I, I really actually started reading more books in the 90s which was not a great time for incredible storytelling right like my cousin i remember their family was sort of into sort of like the i hesitate to call it the speculator culture but like they were definitely buying things in the hopes that it would appreciate and they brought home a bunch of cyberforce comics and that was when i was first that was my first exposure to mark silvestri and i was like oh my god i was like this dude this dude this is all I want to look at, right? So I actually started buying Cyberforce really religiously. And I've recently gone back and reread the initial four-issue run. And I was like, you know what? This is a complete mess. Like, <laughs> they, 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 they couldn't figure out what story they were trying to tell. And I, now that I look back on it, I noticed that. But at, at the time, I was like, oh, my gosh. This guy's got this guy's got robot arms and big claws. And this dude's huge, but he talks like a surfer. That's so cool. Oh, man. <laughs> And then this one girl runs real fast. How cool that guy's got four arms and three of them are on one side. He's got like four armpits on one side. It's incredible. <laughs> That's I the did... worst deodorant commercial I can produce. I know. And it's metal. But how are you going to make it work? It doesn't work. So I was, I was right there with you during that whole era. Wildcat, Cyber exactly. Force, even Youngblood, God help me. Oh, yeah. All, you know what? Here's Okay. Here, okay. We're, we're totally off topic. Youngblood actually had some really interesting, like, uh, themes and stuff that it was dealing with as far as like like, uh, like, like the, the plot mechanics yeah yeah plot I'm mechanics and, that. And, and like also like uh, celebrity culture and stuff like that 
but it was to a certain extent it was sort of a little ham-handed and i think it kind of got in its own ways but like it was actually dealing with some really cool stuff and i attempted to i was like i'm gonna look back maybe you know what maybe cyber force is gonna surprise me and it didn't like it just was kind of like okay well it seems like they want to tell me a story about found family but not really it seems like they want to tell me a story about mutant alienation maybe sort of making a a, a, a you know a, a race play sort of an analogy no it's not really doing that well either it just looks really nice <laughs> that's like you know you just said about books in the 90s that's yeah. like you know i think that's the pinnacle 2000s book you know with uh uh, uh, Mark Z. Danieleski's House of Leaves. Oh, yeah. Just, like, I got a copy the, of it. <laughs> I got a fucking copy of it on my bookshelf. It's just the prettiest goddamn book in the world. But what the fuck does it say? Footnotes and, upon footnotes. Words oh, my God. And you have square. to turn it upside down. Yes. And sometimes it's in red for no fucking reason. It stresses me out. If I didn't love Poe's Haunted so much, I wouldn't do it to myself. Is it in but, red for no reason, though? Is it truly in red for no reason? Oh, my God. And now I hear Exploration B playing. It's terrible. But, and now it's the Navidson record. This is terrific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... You know, it's it's that sort of idea of pretty has to mean something that really mm-hmm. brings me back to Way of X in, in like an actual organic way, not like in a, I remembered we're on a show suddenly way. <laughs> it was a very but, good segue. You're a great host. <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> but I think the thing that I find super important is that if you're weird just to be weird, everybody just sort of points at you and go, you're weird to be weird. It's like that kid who finally figures out how cursing works exactly and just can't stop saying shit a lot that one day. You know, if you're just weird to be weird, it doesn't accomplish anything. But there's sort of a standard point at which we accept this is this is that that tipping point of surrealism that we, we look for, you know, with the uh, example of the mushroom fade, the fungal fade, as it was so perfectly put. Now, were there any ideas that were like, okay, it was too weird, and we said maybe pull back a little bit. Did anything have to get reined in because it was too strange? So in issue three, I did some weird stuff art-wise. I was like, I don't know how to explain what I want to try to do here, so I'm just going to do it. And then, so I sent an email to my editor, and I said, is this too weird? And I I sent it really (laughs) late at night, and he's on the East Coast, obviously. They're at Marvel, right? They're in New York. I'm in L.A. And he goes asking me is this too weird is actually going to get me to open my email at this hour and they were like no this is perfect right so this is this book does go into some weird places right again i don't know exactly how much i can tell you other than we have a couple of characters that try to get to know each other better um and then take a a route that seems like it would be more direct but ends up being a bit more circuitous and ends up with some really strange visuals (laughs) i'm I've got Howard Johnson's I'd like to get to know you well playing in my head now. Uh, but no, I, I can't think of a I can't think of a part of this book where I where I did something and said, "Is this too weird?" And anybody said, "Yes, that's too weird." Bob, tone that back. <laughs> Bob, how did how did you guys come up with this cast? Because it is such a big cast of characters right out of the gate, and it's there doesn't seem like they're glued together as a team yet. It's kind of well, it's, what, it's not what was really, that? Yeah, it's not really a team book. So so here's what I'll here's what I'll say. I I came into this project a little late, right? Like there was a there they. they had done most of, of the plotting and everything like that before I ever really got to it. And this is not necessarily a team book, right? Like this is a book that is about exploring some of these concepts.
concepts and we don't necessarily go out and do karate together, but we are in an ensemble together where we may, may, maybe this issue, we, we see what happens when two mutants do a kiss on each other. And what does that mean on Krakoa? Right. And then like, this is like, and the first issue, this is what happens. What does it mean when nobody has to die and there's any consequences? What does it mean if I want to be alive, but I don't want to be unpowered, but I don't want to get killed, but I have to get killed. Right. Like that's, that's what we're doing. And we're, we're exploring that through a lot of, um, how, what is it doing? What is it doing to the youth culture, man? Like that. So, like we're talking about like these these younger mutants, right? Like we got we've got Pixie, we've got Blink. These are not old people. They've now grown up to to equate it to the older people. I remember a world with rotary telephones, and I know how they work. I don't know. I I did not grow up in a world with TikToks and Zooms, right? So like these young kids don't understand what it is to let let let, let your iPhone be immortality, right? <laughs> What does it mean to grow up where your life doesn't actually mean anything? <laughs> That's what we're talking about. And we're doing it through these characters. They're not necessarily coming together to form a super team to fight a robot. So, young people. He's young, right? I have a super specific question. Okay. Nightcrawler, one of his powers, and it feels like nobody does anything with this in a long time, is that he can basically camouflage in the shadows. And it looked like that's what happened in issue number one uh, when he was when he snuck up on or, or whatever approached Pixie and, and Blink and company in, in that museum. Yes, that is a thing that happened. So that is a <laughs> thing that happened. That was that is that wasn't okay. just okay. Cool. Correctly identified. Yes. Very specific <laughs> question. It was great. I loved that. Yeah, I I, I was. I, the the only thing I wanted to do was more more jump around karate kicks just because that that kind of stuff is is fun to draw. But um, I, I also would love to do more skulking around, snooping and shadow stuff just because like that leads to some you know f some fun silhouette -y kind of spooky stuff, uh, which which I also enjoy. I haven't had a ton of opportunity for that. There is there is a bit of swash swashbuckleration in the second issue. His entire Hellfire Gala outfit is very sort of swashbuckly uh musketeer inspired so oh did you have anything to do with with the hellfire gala looks oh yeah i i, I did oh. all of them, actually all the ones in our book i did that's oh, fucking amazing yes. oh Hell yeah, yeah. why did you yeah. lead with that i didn't know <laughs> i figured you would ask me questions <laughs> damn it, no, don't you know you come on this show to interview yourself <laughs> well bob I was like well let me tell you i really enjoyed the, the, the characters <laughs> Dude, that's themselves. fucking amazing they're gorgeous oh thank you i appreciate beautiful. it beautiful yeah yeah, yeah, I, uh, I, I got a, I got a list of some prompts of kind of like Psy being like, I think it might be kind of like this, and I was like, okay, and then I would just like sort of blast out uh, a, a ton of different options, and then we, you know, sort of as a team, we all sort of narrowed down of like, I really like this one, I really like this one. What if we take the, you know, the design off of this one and we put the jacket on this one, and then maybe this, this, this hat's the right hat kind of thing. So it was a, it was a fun team effort, but, um, but yeah, ultimately I got to draw all of it, and they let me design all this stuff because. Uh, usually, like um, I think Russell Dodman is a guy that does a lot of that design stuff, and then uh, Valerio also did some. I don't know. If, I don't know if everybody who did their own books did their own designs. I'm not sure. I don't know. It was super fun to do, though. I don't. I don't get a, uh, a ton of opportunity to do uh, costume design stuff. It was really the first one I've ever done because, like, every other book I've ever been on has been very, you know, um, you know, every, everything sort of pre-established of like all right this is how falcon looks this is how uh red sony looks this is how captain america looks but like this was one we're like hey we're gonna do a fun thing do you want to draw some new fun outfits yes i would love to so uh that yeah, is, it was, it was so a good time. cool thank you are, are you in the x lock no 
No, I, I'm I'm not in any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> a line has been drawn here. Yeah, no, I, I'm 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 just a pencil pusher. I, I don't get to do any of that stuff. <laughs> well, I not not yet. I have a very specific, one of these days. Very specific, small question: Is there any okay. chance we will see a Bamf doll at any point? I love those little fuckers so much, and they're just too cute to be real. And they just they don't sell them just to hurt me. Your request has been noted, and okay. I have at least another issue to draw, so I'll see what I can do. <laughs> well, that's that's fucking oh. amazing. Yeah, no, I, am, I am taking requests for background characters. I've got a couple already that I'm going to be trying to Okay, well, I have, I have... Amanda wait. Sefton. All right, hang on, um, let me get on my piece of paper here. Amanda Sefton, got it, got it. <laughs> I, I have a really specific request. Can we never, ever mention the Draco specifically ever, ever again? Mm. Okay, Amanda Sefton, no Draco, got it. <laughs> so, Bob, that was this was actually one of the questions I had for you. Are there any characters that you've already snuck into the background? Any that you are dying to, or uh, should we keep our eyes out and you know look for the "Where's Waldo" moment and then you know tweet at you like I found him? Oh, the only one that I've really squeezed in so far that I super duper wanted to do, and I've been like yelling about letting somebody draw me, uh, let me draw the book, is uh, I did put uh, Gabby Kinney in a background. I would love yes. to do. I, there's nothing I want to do more than a Honey Badger book, and nobody. <sighs> takes me seriously I'm, very irritating I'm, I'm with you honey badger book all the way man come on let's make and this like, happen i would love for if nothing else just occasionally deadpool to pop up in like a nanny kind of way like muppet baby's nanny right <laughs> just the big tall socks yeah i know? was about to say those striped socks <laughs> those striped socks but all deadpoolsy i'm really with you on this i think she is just such a fascinating way to examine the x-men she is a sort of visceral bloodthirsty character by design but she actually represents the innocence because, uh, you know, the X-Men operate in a world where you have to ask yourself if their villains are amoral or immoral because the X-Men have two sets of villains. They have amoral villains and they have immoral villains. Right. And Apocalypse is clearly an immoral villain, whereas when Legion is out of control, he's actually amoral because he is not in his right mind. He doesn't understand what he's doing. Right. So there's two different kinds of villains there. She represents this sort of innocence anything she does that she does that's sort of perceived as a, a wrong choice would be from an amoral perspective because she's actually operating from such an honest kind place she doesn't recognize the violence of the actions she takes in the moment she has trouble distinguishing it because she always sees herself as healing so there's that period of time where she has trouble seeing other people as capable of dying and I think it's that unique perspective as a tertiary sort of third generation Logan clone in many ways that creates kind of like the backbone of what the X-Men should represent and what, you know, Nightcrawler represents this heart amongst the hurt. And I think that's something that's so important to the X-Men as it continues. Uh, I, I have nothing to add. That's, that's a beautiful breakdown. <laughs> it was really very nice, actually. <laughs> I'm a big Honey Badger fan. Like. As, as we all should be, let's be clear. I mean, 100% agree on that. And I hope that you do get to write a Honey Badger book someday because I will read the shit out of it. You have yes. three listeners. You have three, not listeners. Whoop. You have three readers right here. All right. If you're, I'm, I'm ready to write it with you. So anytime you need a writer, you want to draw, you need a writer, I'm with you. I'm um, ready. Also, also, you have three listeners when you do the audio book where you do all the voices, including Honey Badger, because I'm there for that too. And when you join the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> let's go love it I, I want to say this has been such like a fucking pleasure 
right? Because, like, interviews are usually, you know, they're fun. And, like, I don't think we've done an interview on this show where I've been like, oh, my God, where's the bathroom? I have to shower. Like, I haven't had, like, a bad interview yet that's left mm. me feeling gross. I, but this was specifically <laughs> just sort of, like, talking with an old friend, Aww. right? It, it was really a lot of fun to hear somebody have as much passion for what they do as we have for digesting it. So you kind of brought this up and talking about getting the notes for Dr. Nemesis that he uh, lifts off his hat and there's mushrooms, which I don't know about you, but if I read that, I think I would burst out laughing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because it's it's the very funny sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're getting scripts and there are moments where, I, I, one thing I actually do really like about Way of X is that it's a book that has very serious tones, but a lot of really funny comedic moments. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know what that's like when you're given this script that has very almost juxta- uh, like opposing tones of being really serious and then really funny in other instances what's that like when you're like do you is it like are you like do you like laugh to yourself while you're oh, trying no, it? i mean like because this book has serious whiplash right because it's like here here's kurt sitting here talking about the morality of uh, and his concerns about what's going on in krakoa with uh with professor xavier right while people are being resurrected at the uh at the uh, Magna Abora or whatever it is. Uh, forgive me for if I got the name wrong. And then Lost comes back and everybody pukes, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> literally, that's literally the, like, the scene I'm imagining. Cause it's totally like, oh. <laughs> all over the place. And, and as soon as it came in, I was like, oh my gosh, like, Cy must know me or something. Because again, as a Mad Magazine reader growing up, I was like, <laughs> oh boy, puking book, this is for me, right? <laughs> like, I was like, nobody else can draw this book. I will not allow it. So it, yeah, like... Trying to trying to balance that out and making sure that it's all playing properly, it can be very very difficult. But when it can't, when it came in first, I started laughing, and then I was like, "Yes, this is mine. <laughs> this this my baby. Mm-hmm. I get to draw it, and I get to show puke everywhere. Every, it's been oh, a hot minute since my, I've seen my, my, friends, my friends. You have not yet begun to see people puke in this book." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody speak about puke with such gusto. This is amazing. <laughs> well, uh, allow me to be your first. <laughs> this has really been the most eye-opening interview. Really. <laughs> well, I'm hopefully so we're keeping our called... eyes closed if people are puking. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> you can always smell it. You know what I mean. <sighs> so, the well, Arbor Magna is going to smell like that for a while. Yeah. Right, there's got to be a mutant whose power is just just like a fucking air freshener, right? Mm-hmm. Like the mutant just walks in the room and everything smells like pine, right? <laughs> oh, well, I would love a mutant that's just, they smell nice. Right, because there's really bad mutations out there. There really were for like a really long time. Like There was the that... girl that smelled like spiders. <laughs> oh my god, yes, there that's was. That's a power. <laughs> that's, and there's Ugly John. His power is he's just real ugly. Let us not forget. So I have a question. That yeah. I usually ask, but I need to spice it up a little bit because we got the gala upon us, right? Yeah, let's get so spicy. This is for everybody in the room. I got to know, who would your date for the X-Men gala be? You can pick, of course, any mutant you would like to bring, whether they've had a gala look or not. But who would you want to walk in on the arm of for the X-Men's Great Hellfire Gala? Or a controversial human. 
Ooh, or a controversial, controversial human. human. Because if it's like Stevie Hunter, that's always the right choice. I don't care what the list is, as long as it's positive, Stevie Hunter's the right choice. Show so, up with Valerie Cooper. That's that's the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, Val Cooper's a great choice. She did great things for mutants once upon a time. But uh, so who would you guys want to walk in with? My answer might shock some people, but I would like to walk in on the arm of Deadpool. I feel like I want to have a good time and laugh and dance the whole night. And I feel like he'd be able to outdrink me and he'd get real sloppy and it would be a real good time after. So <laughs> my pick is Wade. I, you know, mask on or off. I can keep my eyes closed if we're having a good time. Who's next? Who's next? Is it me? Bob is next. Go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, you know what? I, I, I'm, I, we're going to go, we're going to go Pixie again, just because I was happiest with the way her outfit came out. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I said, I drew it. I was like, yep, nailed that one. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I take Pixie because I'm proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I will date my best job. That, yes. that, that checks out. That checks out. And, and Bob, can I just say, I had a feeling that you were a Pixie fan because I follow you on Twitter. And I yeah. feel like anybody who is a Pixie fan is just treated to no end at the amount of drawings that we get to see you post and sketches of Pixie. Like, it's just been so amazing. It's been fun just because I I, I didn't, like, I knew, like, I knew I liked her, for, again, from, like, some of the old Academy X days. But, like, actually getting to do, to, to draw her in a book has been uh really really delightful like she's just a lot of fun in general like there like, again there's like a lot of physicality that you can put into it and uh, i've been told by the editors that I, I draw one of their favorite pixies so i was like all right I'm, I'm obviously doing something right i'm connecting with this character on some level so we're gonna that's that's it that's it for me i'm good <laughs> have you ever checked out the kathy imminent pixie strikes back miniseries i you know what i just purchased one of sarah pichelli's pages oh beautiful for the record i am definitely going as colossus's date before any of all you hoes try to even think about it how good no, is no, that no. outfit though? the best outfit Holy that that design came in and i was like dude this dude this dude looks fresh to death what is up with this haircut looking so Just clean holy best. smokes that hat that cape come on now incredible jonah dante i gotta know gentlemen who are you gonna walk into the hellfire gala who are you gonna stroll in with Okay, so I I'm technically cheating, and I have two, I want two people. I want someone on my left arm and someone on my right arm. I like your real life, got it? <laughs> like your real life. I am I am greedy, and I can never you know do do just one. Uh, on my left, I want Boom Boom because if I'm going to a party, I am bringing the person who I think I'm going to have the best time with, <laughs> and it doesn't matter whatever happens at this thing. Boom Boom will have her own party, and Boom Boom will have her own good goddamn time. And, and I come in a small flask she keeps in her jacket. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the person I want on my right arm because I enjoy some eye candy would be Bishop mm-hmm. because he's gorgeous and amazing, and I feel like I can really get to know him, and we could have a very beautiful moment together. Now, Dante, who would you don the fancy duds to take with you to the Hellfire Gala in full regalia? First of all, Jonah, I am appalled that you did not invite Elsa. Listen. Oh, (laughs) shit. Mic drop. I was thinking about Elsa. You said you want her 
in every book and you're not even going to bring her to the gala like she on. is busy right now <laughs> she's got some other things going she got a house call from uh the, the black knight and she has her ghost bullets that she needs to polish your fine knowledge of elsa cannon is actually really attractive she is busy in her mansion sipping on a cuppa and <laughs> wondering cuppa. why she's still playing uh paying for cullen's boarding school when he's busy trying to make out with other mutants oh my god dante who are you bringing um, <laughs> i always have the best moments to segue into gosh um <laughs> so i also have a a dual answer but not someone on each arm but if i don't get asked to the hellfire gala and i'm gonna go with my buddy who i know i'm gonna have a good time with i think that's gonna be Wizkid. Wizkid and i are gonna go hang out we're gonna be friends oh. we're gonna have a great night because he just, he just has that fun energy. But who I'm really, really hoping is going to invite me and take me as their date is Manifold. Ooh. Shifts reality around him, feeling the winds of the universe. Hell yeah. That's an easy way to exit any uncomfortable <laughs> moments, too. <laughs> I'm so upset none of us picked Emma Frost. Listen. Oh, I'm not good enough for that. She can step no, on me. Exactly. Like, <laughs> we're not on her level. With scorn. We don't yeah. even deserve to, you know, share the she, same fl- space. We're lucky yeah, but, she's letting us look at her. That's, that's <laughs> actually show policy. Emma Frost can step on your neck anytime. That is that is show policy. Yeah, that tracks. Like, tracks for me. I get it. <laughs> you know, they've taken this character who, you know, really did represent the immorality of the X-Men in so many ways. You know, touching back on the Laura Touchstone, that it it's just so fascinating to see how far they've taken her. And the ride that Jerry Dugan has taken us all on with Marauders has been, like, ridiculous for Emma Frost. And it's been spectacular. I hate how into Dr. Nemesis I am with his weird Oh, mushroom. God, he's so hot. It's like... It's disturbing how attracted I am to him now. So thank you, and I hate you for that. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, you'll be hearing from our lawyers. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a lawyer. I'll be representing myself. I'm putting the system on trial. <laughs> <laughs> Your honor, this entire court is in contempt. This is a kangaroo court. <laughs> this is a kangaroo. It all just turns into the gang goes on trial and the serial defense. Which is no good because I've been practicing bird law. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Oh my. <laughs> Pepe Silva! Um. Hey everyone, it's Nathan. And in this next segment, Maddie, Kyle, and I cover the final issue of The Union. This series has brought us many ups and downs from the shocking death of Britanna in its first issue to some really fun characters that it's introduced along the way. I think the one thing that we can all agree on is that Craig the Corgi is probably one of the best characters introduced into Marvel in the last few years. We hope you enjoy listening to our thoughts and opinions on this final issue of The Union. Hey everyone, we are covering The Union 5. It is the final countdown for the British Empire as The Union fights its many forces looking to disrupt its way of life. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at DazzlerAOA on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Kyle, you can find Find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Drantis82, D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. And I'm Maddie, and you can find me over on Instagram at the Basely Covetous Man, and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. The Union was written by Paul Grist, Andrea 
Andrea DeVito is the penciler. LeBeau Underwood, the inker. Nolan Woodard, colorist. And VC's Travis Lanham is the letterer. We are at the final issue of The Union. I am trying to figure out how this all comes together and what type of story he was trying to tell. It's got a lot of great pieces in it. It's got some fun new characters. It's got high stakes but as maddie said in the green room earlier it feels like we've seen all of this before is that kind of the same feeling that you guys are having yeah yeah i definitely feel that way it feels more like a setup for something else than it is a standalone story even though we haven't really had a lot of marvel uk experience it just feels like we've done this elsewhere it is not to discredit paul Grist to say that this was, if I can use a, a commonly unkind word, derivative. It's more to say that this was supposed to be, from, from the outside looking in, the union was supposed to be the establishment of a strong host of UK characters, new and old, coming into the mainstay of the Marvel Universe. And I feel like in that regard, I'm not going to discredit the last five issues because setup is setup. If anything else, it does remind me a little bit with a little less otherworldly hijinks as a sort of like establishing first arc a la you know original Excalibur in a sense this was something to bring the team together there was just enough of bad guy tomfoolery and there was just enough of semi-predictable plot twist in the third act ultimately the resolve is that it brought everyone together and introduced a host of new faces that we could potentially see going forward now knowing that this is only going to have been five issues I'm very curious to know what the spin off from this will be. Union Jack, of course, is already an established character in his own right. Britannia, I'm not familiar with, but I get the feeling she was kind of being retconned into being a much larger figure than she actually is, just by way of her lore in this run. Does anyone know what's coming next? Do we know definitively if we're seeing the choir again? If this was the first arc of an ongoing, this would make a lot more sense. But if this is just a miniseries where all we see is of these characters is this arc, then I'm kind of wondering what it's all about. But if it sets up for something else, if it sets up for something in the future, if it sets up for more guest appearances by the Union somewhere to try to get Marvel to build up that fan base, then yeah, definitely I can see this have had some merit to read this book. It was fun. There were a lot of fun parts to it. It's just, I'm wondering what the point is. I think a big part of it is that it was hobbled by the issues that arose from the pandemic with it being cut from from Empire and kind of thrust into uh, King in Black, where we really only spent two issues out of the five on that actual event, and the rest of it didn't really feel connected to it at all. Like I said, what I see this leading to, it feels like we're being set up for something else with these characters, but I don't think Marvel has determined that yet or they haven't announced it yet i should say i could see them maybe showing up in the pages of excalibur Ooh, um okay but really other than that i mean it kind of feels like the team broke up and at the same time it also feels like the citizens of the uk rejected
accepted them once they realized who they were. Oh God. And I'm so, I'm so glad you yes. said that. I, I felt Nathan breathe into it too. So I, I certainly don't want to want to step on anybody's toes. You know, if we haven't said it to current, it deserves to be said now. Paul Grist, Andrew DeVito, and LeBeau Underwood, and of course, Nolan Woodard, do an excellent job at executing strong 22-page stories by five. These have been strong stories. It's just a matter of, realistically, in the new normal, in the post-COVID comic world, every book that kind of underperforms, in a sense, gets a pass. Your release date was pushed back, you got sandwiched into being a King and Black tie-in, and you probably had your order cut down to five issues from whatever it originally was is unbeknownst. So I'm definitely not here to say that this was not a worthy contender. I, I feel like, having said that, though... I like to compare this to Children of the Atom, in a sense, and I know that doesn't seem like an organic comparison or maybe a fair comparison, but to put them side by side, they both now are introducing a different set of hero, one specifically mutant, but not really. And I'm sure this team of the Union consists of at least one mutant. I'm looking at you, Choir. Otherwise, why would we be covering this? (laughs) One feels much more organically in line with the tone, with the themes, with K of what is currently going on in the X-Universe and Marvel at large, being Children of the Atom. One feels distinctly removed, almost in a sense of if you didn't put a specific time on this, this could have existed 10 years ago by my standard. And it even reflects that down to the coloring. Now, Nolan Woodard did an incredible job, but we're looking at tone, we're looking at theme, we're looking at cadence. And I feel like the union is a miss in that regard as it pertains to the X-Universe and the Marvel Universe at large. It's the only reason that I struggle to see a future connection with these characters as a cohesive unit spawning into another avenue of the Marvel Universe. I could definitely see this team being stripped for parts, and I would really love to see Paul Grist get another chance to write Union Jack, because if nothing else, this was a engaging Joe story. But I think that it is just a little off from the rest of what we've been reading in a way that was maybe not immediately noticeable, but at its conclusion could not be further from what else we've been covering this year. You know, that's actually a good point. When we were covering New Mutants last week, we were talking, Drew had brought up how hard it was for Vita to create the Children of the Atom characters and for them to maybe feel as organic as when they are doing the New Mutants. Everything seems to flow so well. I mean, they're a very talented writer. And the same with Paul Grist here. He's a very talented writer. He's written a lot of good classic stories. And this story is not a bad story. It's just maybe he's suffering from creating a whole new team of characters only having one real point of reference would be Union Jack, which is a familiar face to us. Establishing these characters, establishing their relationship. I think it's really hard for them, especially in a shared universe setting like Marvel or DC, to create these compelling characters, to create the shared universe that they all live in, to fall off of an event, which they had to push the event back that they were falling off of and to create the thing that's going to last and go forward. Do you kind of feel that it could be what's going on here? It's just the fact that it's all new characters that we haven't gotten invested in. We didn't really get enough time with each of these characters to get totally invested in any of them to really form any attachment to them. Yeah, I could definitely say that, especially in regards to Kelpie and Snakes. Those two are probably the least least built up character progression
session-wise, we spent a good amount of time with saw the choir's background, and Union Jack, he's established already, so we we have an idea of, of what his stuff is. But Kelpie and Snakes, they kind of just are there. They're a part of the team, but we don't really know anything about them. And I kind of wish that we had had an opportunity to actually explore that. Because I've been fortunate enough to be on uh, at least three-fifths of the coverage of this book. I was on the first issue, I believe I was on the penultimate issue of me, and now I'm on the final issue. I only wish that I could look back at some of my predictions and some of the things that have been said, but one thing that I remember distinctly is saying that Kelpie and Snakes are my top two, for sure. And I made one prediction about the book. Uh, the only one was that Snakes was either going to be one large bipedal snake or a collection of snakes in like a Vincent Adult Man style, like skin suit, yes. and fucking got what I wanted. Super, super happy. Uh-huh. I, I do think that individually, they all could have stood for a little bit more individual time to shine. And I feel like that's just symptomatic of rogues gallery fatigue. The choir was given two monikers. She was the choir and she was also screwed. There was so much focus in the latter half of the run put on Doc Croc and his gang. And then, of course, we had, God, because I can't, I just can't stop comparing it to Excalibur. I just almost called him Nigel Forbisher. Um, <laughs> we had knockoff Connor McGregor with the Empire Stone coming in and now he is suddenly the big fixture and then it wasn't until the very end that in case you were curious no no it would be Selwyn James who saves the day so I feel like it was just general rogues gallery fatigue that took up the bulk of the second and third act of this book that kind of robbed some of our core characters a chance to shine and I wonder how that might have been handled if this were an ongoing I wonder if the second, I almost called it the second act, I wonder if the second arc would have been picking up on the loose thread of the citizens of the UK believing at large that this team was a collection of monsters and freaks. We touched on it earlier that that was such a strange place to leave off on, and part of me wonders, I have, and this is not to assume anything of Paul Grist's character, but I know myself, and I pride myself on my creative work, and if I had the nature of the execution of my creative work stifled or changed so drastically by so many cosmic forces that were out of my control, I might want to leave a slightly petty hint in there that there was more to come, that there was something else, that there's something unresolved. Because if for no other reason, if the book then gains traction, there would be enough of a voice to call back to and say, well, why aren't we seeing the resolution to this? Do I think that the spectacle of having the team referred to as outsiders, freaks, and monsters is enough to garnish a renaissance for this book? No, you know, I, I genuinely don't because I feel like, especially as we're discussing this on an X-Men podcast, we have seen ostracized freak as a trope handled in every way imaginable under the sun by every writer we've covered. I don't want to say that I wanted for more. I will just say that this has left me wanting and if I will give Paul Grist a super commendable note of credit, I will say that I was very pleased to see that this book, while featuring Union Jack, did not read like a Jack Staff fanfic under Marvel. And I apologize if the phrasing there is unkind, but specifically considering that he had a lengthy tenure on a book at Image that was specifically an analog for Union Jack. To see him come into the fold here at Marvel again with Union Jack in a flagship role, I am super glad that there was a focus on a wealth of other characters, even if the distribution of that focus was a little disproportionate. Even the 
issues that we have with the book i know i did pick up a few favorite characters that i know i would love to see more of one of them i'm like oh no we can't see any more of them because they killed her but i know personally like i would have loved to see more of lady shimmering light and craig the corgi whose fate is a little ambiguous and i'm gonna ask that a little bit later besides those two i didn't really get as attached to any of the team of heroes for some reason i felt myself more drawn to doc ox crew they just seemed more exciting more new more fresh did either of you guys pick up any favorite new characters i really liked craig the corgi he, he's absolutely adorable he's so adorable he's so adorable but i actually really enjoyed bulldog i wasn't expecting to like him but i found him to be kind of hysterical in that same super muscular tiny guy trope thing and i absolutely loved the modified fastball special yes <laughs> And the fact that he was like, you're supposed to throw me, not kick me. (laughs) Kyle, if if, if you could see my face, because the second you said Bulldog, I am like beaming because I was like, I want to say Bulldog because it's Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I think I said before last issue that if if not for the fact that Kyle does not have a distinguishable rogue or red face paint or a bitch and mustache, they are the exact same shape. And it makes me so happy. Because our, our, our Kyle is super ripped, if nobody knew. Um, no, I'm not. No, shut up, shut up, shut up. Um, so I, I will I will jump in and I will I will stop giving you compliments that make you uncomfortable. Um, and I will say that my if I had to choose a favorite on the team, ugh, Christ, well, I'm not going to say Britannia. We'll come to the many reasons why in, in a little while, I'm sure. I'm going to go with Kelpie just because I feel like she should have been given a little bit more time to shine. And I feel like if I say snakes, it's just going to be so fucking obvious. I will give a special shout out to Lady Shimmering Lights delivering in every issue. Did you know that she had a mannequin body? You do now. Oh my god, that was such a surprise to me. I was like, what? Yeah, I was surprised by that too. I was like, oh, she's just wisps that have possessed a mannequin. I was not expecting that at all. She is She is literally just Lady Shimmering Lights. I love that. I love that for, for them. I love that for her. I suppose, I suppose she, she calls herself lady so ma'am you do you i absolutely love that i oof god did anyone have a least favorite uh, you know i think i found steve darwin and doc ock really insufferable i don't know if they were really fun and compelling as the main adversaries and i'll be honest the whole amount of lore they put into over britannia really kind of annoyed me because she was the driving force in the first issue there's just something about it that didn't come together right it, it might be because she's suffering from the century syndrome where they introduce the character and they try to give her these really long intricate ties into the marvel universe and I just, it just didn't work for me yeah i have to agree with steve darwin and doc crock if the book had focused on one or the other then they wouldn't have both felt kind of diluted they just weren't that inspired of a villain. I mean, Doc Croc, he just keeps complaining that everybody made him a villain and he just wanted to be good. And, and I'm like, really? And <laughs> y- 
no, just just stop. <laughs> and Steve Darwin, he just that just came out of nowhere. I'm sorry, it, it didn't make a lot of sense to me, honestly. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out. So holding the gem that built the British Empire, that's what gave him those powers. Yes, because when Doc Croc picked it up, he also gained the powers. So why didn't the sponge when he ate the? I, yeah, I, I have yeah. There, I have many questions maybe, and problems about that. <laughs> maybe because he wasn't tapping into the power of the stone. Oh, okay. Can I be? Can I be real? Yeah. I was really hoping that the stone that has the power that built the British Empire was going to accidentally turn him. Like he's like, yes, I have the power. No, what is happening to me? And he would <laughs> accidentally turn into like a old Victorian building transformer. Oh, He's like, I'm, I'm part, I'm part man and part tutor at the same time. <laughs> Because he literally, he would become a British Empire. That is literally the laziest joke I've ever told on the podcast. So thank you. But yeah, I, so so having said that, having said that really, aside from that, I have no qualms with Steve Darwin. I think that as soon as he was introduced, I was like, all right, he's fucking shady. <laughs> Some shit's going to happen. It's fine. It's just a matter of when they introduced Doc Croc along the way, I was like, all right, so it's going to take a little while to get there. But I clock that from the gate. So I don't disparage him for being a plot vehicle. Like, I really don't. I would say, honestly, and it's it's such a shame because this is the Britannia project, but I am most underwhelmed by Britannia. And I think, Nathan, you hit it right on the head. The reason is because of, you know, and I, I'm just, I'm throwing fatigue on everything today. Last <laughs> time it was Rogue's Gallery fatigue. This time it's Century fatigue. You know what? It might just be that I'm actually tired this morning. But yeah, it'll be Century fatigue for me. I think that going through the hurdle of retconning her character to being such an entity in and of itself to have the name of the book taglined for her and then to be brought back together in the end by a possession of her spirit and that her spirit being the driving force for the formation of the team isn't just a metaphor but it was literally her spirit is just a little too on the nose for me and that's just per my taste there is somebody out there who was like yes that is my favorite part of the book fight me on twitter and I'm fine with that, both to fight you on Twitter and the fact that it's your favorite part of the book. But I feel like it's if we're just discussing feeling underwhelmed. That's all it is. I'm not going to take a stance of I hate Britannia and I'm not going to take a stance of Britannia served no purpose. No, I do think that despite the large cast, everybody here pulled their weight in some regard. Maybe Doc Croc's team a little less. Lady Shimmering Lights kind of just dunked on everybody for no, no necessary reason. I did notice some of the villains were very Doctor Who-esque. So Lady Shimmering Lights, when she was killed and revealed to be a mannequin, I was like, ooh, she's an Auden. And Volcana, and parts of the paneling when they drew Volcana, I was like, Volcana's reminiscent of a Santorin in some of this. And then, of course, you've got, like, everybody's favorite little robot dog, Craig. I was like, oh my god, he's canine. Am I, I just making that up? <laughs> well, to, to be honest, I was more seeing Craig as Ayn from Cowboy Bebop. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
which I love that. I wouldn't put it past Paul Grist to, or a- anyone in the line of production to have made those Doctor Who references on purpose. And I kind of love that because if for no other reason, that being a tentpole connection to the UK experience, the phenomenon that Doctor Who is, makes me appreciate this book more. Oh yeah. We see everybody's favorite cybernetically enhanced Corgi, Craig, searching the hallways looking for a way out, which is so cute. He's like, hey, can anybody help me? But we find Sponge waiting behind a door with a bat. And afterwards, we really don't see Craig himself again. Are we to believe that the Sponge bashed the poor little doggy's brains out? I really hope not. I really hope not because I, I, Craig is so cute and adorable and he didn't deserve that. I'm hoping that he just maybe locked him in a room or something oh, and dude. assumed his form using the powers that he had absorbed in the last issue. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I'm hoping. Yeah, yeah, let's hope. I mean, it's not it's not hard to overpower a dog. Like <laughs> some, some dogs, yeah. Like I don't want to go against a dog in my weight class, you know, like because there are unfortunately dogs in my weight class and that's terrifying. Like I'm not going after like a like a Staffordshire Terrier. Like or no, I, I would go after that. That's a terrier. I meant to say a bull mastiff. I would fuck up a terrier all day. Um that said <laughs> Please this don't. Is, this is the... Please don't. <laughs> I, that no, no. And I was just gonna say that said, I would never, and I would really hope that nothing ill came of this sweet corgi baby. But like, you do what you gotta do. You throw him in a room. You know what I mean? Like, he's a little yappy, but like, you've never held down a dog's muzzle and been like, "Don't." You know? <laughs> Christ. All right. Someone say me. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Because that was probably my favorite little scene where on uh, page nine of digital, where he's just going into the room and he's like, hello. And his one little ear is raised more than the other one. I'm like, oh, he's such a cute little dog. And the next panel, da, 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 sponge is hiding behind the door with a bat or a plunger or whatever he has. <sighs> Let's retcon it to be a plunger because a plunger, he just knocked him out. Yeah. <sighs> you know okay, good. Okay. Like, okay. It has Point. a sound effect. Yes. And yeah. I am I am officially absolved my of my violence against dogs comment. Great, let's move on. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Was anyone surprised at all when Scream it just suddenly in the beginning of the issue she's like, Nope, I'm taking this off. I'm the choir again. Did it, you know it's pretty expected, right? Uh, yeah, I expected it, but it was kind of random. But at the same time, she also joined Doc Croc's team with very little motivation behind that so i don't understand the whole switching sides thing so often you know what it was intact for me and again i really am not trying to be unkind but i am explicitly trying to be funny it is announcing your pregnancy at your siblings like graduation or birthday party it's just like we could we could be happy for both of you you know what i mean like okay you're back you're the choir okay that's great there's a lot of things going on steve darwin is is (laughs) maybe trying to become the british empire you know what i mean it literally doesn't matter whose side you're working on at this point it's perfectly fine she done got engaged at her sister's wedding that's what it is (laughs) oh my god so much better so see you know i I sometimes forget that i'm white trash And so I immediately go for the worst of two options. Um, Uh, I'm just going to go on. (laughs) The only thing that I can think of regarding 
her is that she decided to go back to Doc Croc's team because she thought Britannia was dead. But then when she saw Britannia's spirit, she was like, oh shit, nope, I'm going back to the good guys again or something. I don't know. That's the only thing I could think of. I'd be scared by a ghost. <laughs> yeah, me too. The, the funny thing is it's like the page right before Britannia comes out. She's like, ah, you can call me the choir. And then right after Britannia is like, oh, coming out of Union Jack. And that looks really sexual Weird. right there in that oh, panel. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's, he's like, oh. And she's got, yeah. Also, was anybody surprised that Britannia was inhabiting the body of Union Jack? I knew she was going to come back. I didn't see that particular angle coming, though. So I was like, okay, I'm down with this. I'm pleasantly surprised. I knew she was coming back. I just felt that had to happen. I just wasn't expecting her to be in his body. I guess I should have realized it when we were dealing with the symbiotes, but... Yeah, I, I just wasn't expecting it at all. Yeah, same. I had to go back and reread those things she mentioned, and I was like, oh, okay. I also wasn't really expecting it, but I'll be totally honest. It was worth it for me for the last panel of page 17 of 22 on digital when they both deliver the one-two punch that takes Steve Darwin off board. And if you glance at it quickly, it just kind of looks like he's wearing a big hair metal wig. <laughs> <laughs> it is freaking outstanding it's just like i i kind of hear a guitar riff and I'm like yeah as he goes down to the ground and it's uh it's super fun you know what why not possession that's cool that's fine by me yeah and steve darwin so he he got hit by the cute little car that union jack tried to drive into him and he's like haha it's gonna take more than that and britannia just is like let's merge together again with just a lot of sexual in a window with that and together their powerful force took them out um so the jewel is taken quickly from Steve Darwin to Doc Croc, who is quickly fooled by the sponge pretending to be Craig the Corgi, who swallows the jewel. So I'm sitting here wondering when this happened before it was really revealed to be Steve Darwin. I'm like, oh no, is that poor little doggy going to choke on that? (laughs) So that leads me to so many questions. How did he pass that big diamond through even his human-sized body? That seems like it would be really painful to try to let go through your system. <laughs> it was kind of explained away that he pooped it out when he was still in doggy form because I, he was really scared. It just like poof, shot right through him. I guess so. Because <laughs> he's in dog form for like two seconds. <laughs> yeah. Battlefields with dogs are dangerous, guys. And Maddie, you were going to say something? <laughs> Landmines. <laughs> I, un, 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 unfortunately i am um i am gonna say something so i just gonna i'm just gonna give you a quick anecdote i knew a man named tony because i work in the hospitality industry and every single friday tony would eat a 48 ounce porter steak alone with four sides and so if you find yourself questioning how anybody can pass any amount of anything at any given time just think of tony because i would rather shit a diamond (laughs) hands the fuck down wow Oh, that is... This is, I love this is a story. real story. <laughs> wow. Wow. A 48-ounce steak and four sides? Like, what were the sides? Were they, like... Really it, it, was like it was like a side of, like, asparagus. Uh, it was like a side of uh, asparagus, a side of, like, seasoned fries, like a side of, like, Brussels sprouts or something, and, like, maybe a creamed spinach. So, like, now there's, like, there's cream in the mix here. There is starch, you know? Oh. Like, welcome. This is the, this is the, this is the Kalonic podcast. I just, I just don't want to, I, I don't know why my mind's going to, what would this smell like? 
but <laughs> I'm sorry. I and 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 the last thing he was a he was a relatively small man. <gasps> See, you say that, and my mind goes that's to it. Oh, a larger man. Wow. So if, you, if you're looking for the real life uh, Sponge Boy, uh, DM me on Twitter. We can we can talk to him about his gastro habits. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and you know what? I, yeah. I couldn't be happier that I saved that for like the last page of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! A story gets wrapped up very. <laughs> a story gets wrapped up very neatly. To me, it seems a little too neatly, even though it's three days later when they're talking about the four union team members that are left. Nobody has seen them. Nobody has had contact with them since the weekend. We don't know what's going on. I'm like, it's like they can't take a four day weekend or anything. This definitely seems like it was tacked on at the end because they were trying to figure out how to end the story. Whereas if they had gotten an ongoing, they would have been able to elaborate more on the ending. Um, where are you guys with this? I think it wrapped everything too neatly up too finally so there's not really a great place to go forward from it i have to agree with that i mean it feels too final but at the same time it feels like they've gone on to do something else that isn't being monitored by the british government i don't know i'm struggling to figure out how they would continue to be this new superhero team working specifically for the british government everybody was like like, freaked out by them. It's... I don't know. I, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm lost with my feelings. <laughs> it's very fair. Uh, Maddie, do you think this wrapped it up too neatly, the ending? Do you think it was too final on it? Or do you think it left things open for the future? I don't think it really left anything open for the future. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that, if anything, time will decide what of these characters see a second coming, if any. You know, no matter what you do, Union Jack is still going to appear somewhere at some time. You know, he's coming out of this unscathed. The other creative properties is yet to be determined, but I don't think it was wrapped too neatly for my taste. I think I would have been a little more disappointed if there was the door left open for more. Not at the prospect of it coming back, but just at the prospect of leading me to believe that I will see more of this when in reality, it will probably be lovingly sold for parts. The one thing that sort of has come up a little bit that just got to be kind of wondering now. So the UK government obviously picked this group to be more specifically non-mutants because of the situation with Krakoa and Captain Britain. But at the same time, they didn't really seem to vet the characters and their power sets as well because snakes, obviously all you had to do is just like look under his shirt to tell he was a big collection of giant snakes. Why would they have chosen these freaks and monsters, so to say, as their team of protectors? Wouldn't they have done more background research on these characters to try to figure out what's going on? You know, can we present this as our UK Avengers? I have such a weird and complicated answer for that. And it goes back to a prediction that I made in the first episode, which is that all of these characters are representative of different aisles in the UK. And I suspected that part of the reason that they were such a ragtag team of kind of obvious misfits is that there are not a lot of willing participants in a post-Brexit world to come together and form a fully UK-based organization and work willingly alongside one another. And I speculated that while I don't understand international politics as an American living in a failed school system under the guise of late-stage capitalism, I know nothing about Brexit, regrettably. And I was not banking on Paul Grist to educate me. 
But I did see, even as an ignorant outsider, I saw the potentiality for the city mined for its worth. And I feel like the only nod to that that we got was a bag of shit at 10 Downing Street. <laughs> and, and that's fine, because this is not what that had to be. It certainly was my speculation. And so I will translate that into the formation of the team. I would say that there were not a lot of willing participants in a post-Brexit world, however that trickles out into Marvel politics, that were willing to come together and be part of something wholly international. A lot of the team composition, it squarely fell on Britannia's shoulders. She was the one who chose the members, and it seemed like she was focusing on people who weren't always accepted in their communities. Kelpie, she was explained to be a water demon, I believe, so that would probably be not very well-received among the people. Uh, It all seems to be the big uh, connection between all of them. Union Jack, he seems to be seen as a useless member of society. Snakes, I'm assuming, is a reference to the snakes being that were driven out by St. Patrick. Oh. And the choir, she was on Doc Croc's villain team. So I see this all as her trying to reform these people who she saw as having potential to do good. Does the Bulldog actually have any powers or is he literally just Alpha Flight's Puck where he's just this sort of cool, short, jack dude? I know Puck has more going on than that, but that's basically how he was presented at first. I'm going Puck, to be honest. I think it's kind of like a peak human endurance and stamina sort of deal. Like he can just kind of take being kicked by snakes. The festival special, like you mentioned earlier, Maddie, was so amazing. Overall, the story didn't maybe gel and do what I hope it did what I thought it would do. It didn't do what I hoped it would do. But there were some really good, fun character moments in it, especially with snakes kicking Bulldog. And that was so fun. I know I personally fell in love more with the uh, Lady Shimmering Light just because that description just like drives me crazy. I know personally I fell in love with Lady Shimmering Light because that description is perfect. Her name is Lady Shimmering Light. She shimmers, she pulses, she captivates. Once you are caught up in her spell, you lose yourself. To me, that right there felt like a very Leo Williams kind of thing to write. It felt very reminiscent of how she describes and writes what she does. Uh, Did anybody else get that vibe from that? Yeah, yeah, I do. Like I said, she makes me think of Will-O-Wisp. So, yeah. So, Any final thoughts on this final issue and this final fantastic conclusion of the union i mean it was it was a fun book i wish there had been more room to expand on some of the characters but yeah i mean it's it's not bad at all it that's yeah that's it yeah, yeah. you know yeah. it for me it read <laughs> like uh yep <laughs> <laughs> for <laughs> damn it i almost missed the joke um so for me for me it kind of read like a proof of concept for if Paul Chris were greenlit to do an ongoing. And in that way, knowing the hurdles that this had to go through between COVID and King and Black, you know, good for them for churning out five engaging issues, albeit a little crowded at times. 
Hey everybody, Nico here one more time, and in this next segment, Rod, Raven, and Robbie take a look at the second part of Steve Orlando's incredible new Man-Thing saga. We hope you guys enjoy listening to it as much as we enjoyed making it. As always, if you guys like what you hear, you might like what you see, so don't forget to drop us a subscribe over on YouTube, Patreon, or Twitter. As always, if you'd leave a review over on Apple Podcast, we'd love it as much as we love making this show for you guys twice a week, every week. Until next time, enjoy this last segment, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and we'll see ya. Hello and welcome to the next segment at Nexus for Podcasts. My name is Rod. You can find me at Rod, the, on Twitter and Instagram. And today we have us the Righteous Robbie. Hey everyone, I am Robbie, and you can find me at Asia Polaris on Twitter. <laughs> oh, and with us we have the wonderful. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, and with us we have the wonderful Raven. Hello, everybody. It's Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento, your queer art ho auntie. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. Just type in Dame Red Bento. D-A-M-E-R-E-D-B-E-N-T-O. Can you tell I can spell? <laughs> Ooh, spelling bee. She's the best speller Woo. of the three of us. Or at least better than me. <laughs> I can't spell for shit. So. <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're going to be discussing the second segment of Curse of the Man Thing. Yes! The dingly dangly man thing that is swinging from a <laughs> spider web today because it's Spider Man, Peter Parker, and all Crazy. the spider and all the spider people honestly are in this in this issue. So this issue is written by Steve Orlando. Artists are Marco Thilla with uh, Miku Jun, and the color artist is Guru EFX, and the letter is BC's Clayton Cowles. All right, so, so our usual suspects, as it were. I know all the same writer. I think the uh, I, I know think... that uh, Guru EFX is on a lot of stuff, as mm-hmm. is VC's uh, Clayton Cowell, mm-hmm. and yeah, no, I, I always love their work. Yeah, they are recurring characters in the Marvel universe of the making of comic <laughs> books, and they are fantastic. <laughs> so we are in the thir- the fourth. Ooh, can't count the fourth chapter of this series. It starts off with the in uh, invasive species. So we mm-hmm. are back with the avengers they're kicking ass they're trying to save all the people from the crazy burning plant things oh wait did you see the difference in the in the um in the cover remember when you first saw man thing as you're opening up the first issue avengers curse of man thing and it's like just the man thing's eyes did you notice that in this where you see it there's a difference in one of the eyes i see it like oh yeah, yeah, you get to see the the man inside the monster. That's oh, smart. I like. Oh, I just. That I love, really love, 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 love the way they are not only using like a pop or a pulp comic style for a lot of their cover work, which I just I love for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, they're also like using some of those key uh, themes that they used to use or motifs that they used to use for pulp comics as well. You know, merging man and monster. Nice. freaking love it i love that too i didn't even notice that but that is so awesome i love that there i i love that, that i feel like this is like gonna be i think i don't know if we talked about this before but this is basically gonna be like a reinvention of man thing mm-hmm. uh, he's probably gonna be able to maybe talk now i don't know i mean i know he's talked right? before but the guy might actually be in control they might be like hulk mm-hmm. and bruce banner type situation i don't know but it seems pretty cool and now we have you know the avengers are here Her- how oh, bro. 
Harrower is here. <laughs> <laughs> that one is always going to give you Her- trouble, it right? Is. I got it. Harrower. <laughs> Harriet. It's Harriet. It's freaking Harriet. <laughs> it is. Technically, it is Harriet. She needs to get right. her name back together. She's trying to be all badass, be Harrower. I'm like, girl. Right. These Harrower. Grannies. Yeah, whatever, Harriet. <laughs> Speaking of heroin, her grannies came to put some like kicker oh butt. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> oh my god! Augusta and and another one of the horticulture just showed up to smack her down and tell her every reason she's wrong. <laughs> I know. I love that. I'm sorry. I love it. Oh. Before we go to that, I we get introduced to all the all of the spider people basically, at least that are in this universe right now. Uh, get you know Peter Parker and then Miles Morales and silk and spider woman and ghost spider i don't know is that another spider woman who's oh arachne, um, uh, i believe is that arachne is that her current name i think there was or was it so and, and, and then madam webb and then there's madam webb as yeah. well so yeah like they got every spider person who is connected in the spider verse slash marvel 616 and yeah, they just, they got them all there. They got them like, all yeah. there. I didn't know they were all in New York right now. I didn't know that <laughs> Madam Web was like, neither our, did I in our multiverse right now. So, right. I was like, I'm like yeah. wait, <laughs> when did, okay. I completely forgot okay. that Madam, that uh, Julia Carpenter became Madam Web. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Mm. I forgot about that. So it's nice to see them continuing to use her. Right. Yeah, apparently me and Raven forgot too that <laughs> Steve Orlando did not forget. Um, Steve Orlando was like, you know what? All the spider people, they're going to be here now. Here you go. He's he's showing how he should be able to write a spider book. He's like, I'm going to write. Give me one. Look. Right. <laughs> Come on. Have a little faith in me. Right. But we do the next few pages. We do get um, the granny goodness of them all <laughs> fighting <laughs> the harrower, our Harriet. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, And they're throwing shade at her while they're kicking her butt it's it's so great because i mean she's inexperienced she doesn't know what she's doing mm-hmm. the thing she unleashed she can't even control but she's like nah she's like no nah, grannies i got this i'm gonna do this y'all don't know what y'all talking about y'all just old news mm-hmm. but then they fall down the trap door and it's like i guess she didn't plan that no i'm not ter- i'm trying to remember where exactly she set up her uh well then again is she fighting inside man things husk because they might have accidentally found a trap door into his conscious i don't know if they're in her his conscious i don't actually know where they let's says it says like, they're in florida in cedar cedarville citrusville okay. oh so uh, oh she, so she's probably still inside the um the swamp the kind of like that that swamp cavernish uh area that she set up so she could control everything from just one space and as one of these wonderful women from horticulture said no amount of edgy spell tattoos will change that <laughs> i do love her edgy spell tattoos though those came out really good i like that it's right just- they did but i i love that they're like just dragging her and reading her for filth Oh yeah, I mean she looks. I I like what the the artist does a good job drawing all of them, but her look is pretty mm-hmm. basic. I do like mm-hmm. her look, but it is yeah. a basic ass look. So mm-hmm. well, and it's but you know what? It's hard to make basic or simple look good. It mm-hmm. has to be pulled off like so so well, and they've honestly done it. So oh yeah, that's off to happy. the artists. Like they did a good job working together for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know where this trap door. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know, know where it goes to or what it's from or yeah, because. 
mean? Like, she yeah. says, what a strange trap door to wear. So I'm assuming she's not, like, just right? being sarcastic. She doesn't really know where it is. Yeah. So it's interesting. I like her hair being all frizzy and kind of crazy right there, though. It's a really good image of her. I'm like, oh, that's cute. What? Hair with texture? <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that could be a thing in the art? Right. Um, <laughs> right? We're at me and Raven are shady bitches. Robbie's just in the corner trying to be nice. Being polite. <laughs> Robbie, wrong, say though. something nice. Oh. <laughs> say something nice, Robbie. We're um, being mean. Something... <laughs> We're not even being mean. We're something being nice. Right. Um, she looks cute. <laughs> no, we just say she looks good, though. No, nothing no, wrong she with does. this art. Nothing wrong with this yeah. art. No, I just, I love the fact that they're not making elderly characters um more reserved or mm-hmm. or or you know quiet or you know they're not making them old-fashioned like they are straight up allowing these old ladies to throw shade and be you know very blunt very forward and, and like they literally don't take a backseat to anyone or anything and i just I love it so much. Yeah, it's it's really good. I really enjoy that. And going off to the next thing, we get, you know, Cap- we already saw Captain America give like his yeah. whole speech to him last issue. Mm-hmm. It didn't really work for the scientist guy. Uh, <sighs> I remember his name, but then I I mean, he's got like a PhD in email. Salas. Yeah. There Salas. Yeah. So Tom work- Salas. <laughs> it didn't work for Salas. Salas is like, I don't give a shit what you say, Captain America. Like, mm-hmm. I'm 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 a piece of shit. Like, I, I like sacrificed my family for this. <laughs> this let me die, basically. And it's just like, Jesus, dude, come on. <laughs> he should be in he should be an all black in a band t-shirt that he doesn't even know who the band is. And his girlfriend's skinny jeans with like a shock of hair going over one of his eyes and just like moping in the corner of a rave because honestly he is so emo it's all my fault i've been here for years i'm just gonna mope over here because i can't do anything i'm like (laughs) dude dude if you didn't look at the cover of the book you don't know the lizard is going to be in this book. If you look at the cover, you know. But <laughs> you look at the cover, you don't know. And then you hear the doctor say Kurt Connors. And you're like, oh, that's why Spider-Man slash Peter Parker is in this book. Because the lizard is here. Okay. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. I had like a full on like blonde bitch moment when I was reading this at first. Because I was re- I got to that part and he says Kurt Connors. And I'm just sitting there puzzled. And I'm like, why does that sound so familiar and then (laughs) and then i got like you know a few pages later i'm like oh wow i'm such a dumb bitch (laughs) (laughs) would you like a small dog and a purse and some hugs (laughs) because hey there's a lot of there's a lot of characters in marvel okay you're not expected to remember every single one of them especially the lizard who remembers the lizard's name so hey it's a good character i know i i know i remember too i'm just saying i mean it's not like he was in the spider-man movies or the spider-man tv shows or oh i don't know the you know spider-verse which just came out where they introduced us to miles morales wilson fist the prowler a female version of doc ock scorpion he was just in he was in the first arc of nick spencer's spider-man peter parker right now as well so last year you know like you know who who remembers the lizard (laughs) (laughs) i love you (laughs) apparently i only remember uh the lizard's face (laughs) 
<laughs> well, well one a, would hope. <laughs> it's a lizard, so it's easy to remember. It's a lizard with a lab uh, coat. <laughs> like... Well, Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America, remembered mm-hmm. the lizard. So he busts out of his shell and is like, well, that doctor's useless. Let me go find the other doctor. Right. That's basically what he says after he makes like a little joke to Miles Morales. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Oh, that was, <laughs> oh, that was so good. That was so good. He's like, what? Did you make a joke? You'll never know. <laughs> I love his response to that because even we don't know. I know, right? Like, I love it so much because Captain America and Miles Morales do have like a good bond. Mm-hmm. Um, especially after the whole secret empire thing they got kind of closer because you know yeah they've got a like, great re- yeah, they've got, got a, a such such a good rapport with each other mm-hmm. um unlike you know like cap and deadpool is a little bit more confrontational but yeah i just i love that captain america likes to kind of uh mentor the spider kids almost from afar they're like it's like do you need anything are you guys good you're right. city? okay cool because <laughs> you know peter parker's not taking care of you i'll take care of you so it's fine right <laughs> But then Love that it. ends the fourth uh, chapter, and we're in the fifth chapter, Cinco. Um, ooh, Cinco de Miles happening. Yay. Yay. Um, <laughs> and chapter five is Meeting of the Monsters. Oh my gosh. I guess we're going to meet the lizard now. Uh-huh. And we do. <laughs> the next page is Dr. Connors talking to Captain America, looking over like the corpse. Well, kind of like this, the, yeah, the, the gooey husk that apparently wrapped up Captain America in the first place. Mm-hmm. Look, yeah. like mind teleportation, like psyche thing. I don't know. It's crazy. It's man thing. You don't need to explain it. Right. Um, <laughs> but apparently it doesn't get explained to us at all. And, you know, we see that it's called Project Gladiator, which I don't know if mm-hmm. we knew that before. I feel like Mm-mm. we did, but maybe not. Uh, I, I don't know. It felt like this was a new piece of information, mm-hmm. but like maybe. still it for some reason it really stuck this time this time that they actually said it so mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah. And I was like, they they are working together, and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're both, like, screw-up scientists. You know, they never got the oh, experiment yeah. right. So he's just like, what? and it, it turns out that the other doctor was wrong. Connors didn't do it. But before mm-hmm. he can even tell Captain America, he gets sucked up into the goo thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is, I like their whole interaction with each other, the two doctors, because mm. they're both just like, you know, they haven't seen each other in forever, but he's like, what are right. you doing? Why are you doing this? I know you can break this. And I like the inner, it's like we're watching a movie with the interchange of spider-man trying to help the people and then them arguing with each other mm-hmm. it's a nice little flip-flop of the art yeah yeah I, I do like how they change um just a touch of this i'm not gonna say that a touch of the style but uh, like the way they do the art switches or changes just a little bit depending on where you are and it really feels like you know you're in two very different locations not just oh one of these is in the mind it's like no you feel like you're in a totally different place it really helps you transition between the two Exactly. But also, we find out that um, that Connors was straight up lying. Like he, or not Connors, uh, Salas. Salas mm-hmm. was straight up lying. Connors did not crack the the Super Soldier 2.0. So <laughs> we're you're back to oh, oh okay, well crap. Well then, why did you lie to get you here? 
dude. Right? He's like, why? I was just like in my office, like trying to do like experiments. And he's just like, no, but like, you're smart and you can do this. And he's like, but no, now they're trying to kill me because of this. And I have to turn into the lizard again. So. Right? And then he accused him of being a monster. And I'm just like, so hypocritical. Because like, didn't you just say you made a deal with the devil to get where you were? And then your family got sacrificed, but then you're calling somebody else a monster. I'm just saying, that's a lot. Well, and I mean, if you look back a couple pages, you see that Connors is already missing an arm. Mm -hmm. And when he comes to him in his consciousness, he sees Connor with like both arms. Like, dude, it's been a couple years, but I'm pretty sure you'd first off notice when you hug somebody, they have both their arms. Yeah, I don't think the Silas guy is that smart anymore because it's all the being in his own brain. I think it probably mm. he's just so into his own like doubt and depression and guilt. Oh, that's yeah. all he can be now, you know? Yeah, I hear you on that. So like that ghost stuff that kind of like wraps you up. So like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I If I saw that in person, I would wonder if it had like a smell to or not. <laughs> like, oh, okay, so you guys know that I have fish tanks. Like, I have all kinds of fish tanks. And if you've ever dealt with, like, rotting vegetation, oh, yeah, no, like, that oh, that had to, oh, man, oh, God, that had to smell like just right. rotting vegetation and, and, and person stink, whoever's been wearing it for the and last like, however many, like. And the thing ugh. that I wonder, too, like, you know, once you're in that little, like, psyche part, does it, like, mm-hmm. you know, block out the smell? So, like, in this scene, he might not smell it because he's it better. Anything, but then Captain America's standing outside of it and he... Oh my god, can you imagine trying to fight those things off and that shit smells right next to you? Poor Captain America. <laughs> like, I feel bad for him. Febreze. Shield bash. Febreze. I'm Shield saying, bash. Like, you know, hopefully Captain America has, like, oh. sinus issues because that could help him out. Right? Oh, I mean, he's a super soldier, so I doubt it. <laughs> Moreover, back to the comic book, Lizard does break free. <laughs> And the other persona, it's another like Jekyll and Hyde type situation. The doctor's not in control anymore. Now it's the lizard. So I'm kind of kind of sad he never got a different name. Just the lizard. Real basic. It's fine. He's a lizard. Um <laughs> it works. What do you want to call him? I don't know. I armored guy. I don't know. That's even worse. I don't know. I, was about to I say. don't know. <laughs> He looks cool though. They draw the lizard very well. I like his eyes and his little like teeth and everything. It's really like real realistic. Yeah, they they gave him a really great look, and they didn't change it too far from like the source material that we already have on him. But I can definitely see that there's slightly I don't know there's something just a little bit more menacing without having to have him be this giant hulking form. He's still pretty massive, but a little he's bit not, more refined. Yeah, he's not as big as he has been in the past. He's not as like savage looking. Yeah. What I, I really like loved, yeah. uh, like after you know he goes into his lizard form, and then the interaction with Spider Man, and then he like bites into that thing, and then Peter is like, "Since you did that to me, basically," and his eyes are all white as fuck. <laughs> 
Yeah, Peter's been on the receiving end of those teeth a couple of times. So, so many times. I just, I just love it because, of course, as soon as he becomes a lizard, Spider-Man crashes through it. I'm sure he was just like, Jesus Christ! Of course, Peter Parker is here. I don't know if he knows he's Peter Parker, but of course, Spider-Man's here. So he's like, dude, I'm not robbing or destroying anything that doesn't need robbing and or destroying. Like, right? How are you just showing up? <laughs> And it's a nice touch that Spider-Man makes that comment that he needs to the inhibitor chip. Yeah. So I like oh, that yeah. he like makes that comment. It's like canonly accurate that you know, mm-hmm. the inhibitor chip allows him to keep the lizard at bay. That's how he's not the lizard and all that. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. That was a little like good throw in because not everyone that might not know that. And that's good to like have it. When the pure form of lizard takes over, it's, it's very much lizard in every sense. It's very lizard brain. There's barely any like higher mental functions or higher uh, cognizant functions. Um, So he's basically an attack dog on steroids. Um, But since he has the inhibitor chip in, um, he is far less likely to lose control or attack people, which was like a a major bad thing that he was doing is attacking people. So... Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the last time, well, the last time I read Lizard, wasn't it like I said in Nick Spencer's run? It was like the mm-hmm. the Hunted. It was like a Craven the Hunter's whole like arc with oh, Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Man, the Lizard was crazy in that. Like he was very vicious and very scary. Not this one is scary too, but like not as not as bad. <laughs> <laughs> Far more in control. Right. But like the lizard says like, hey, you know, he's he's aware enough to be like Spider-Man, you know, you have talked to me into like my self-conscious like doctor brain into mm-hmm. like, you know, falling back and thinking, you know, logically and do that. So let's do see if you can do that with the other doctor. And mm-hmm. like, he's like, go into that pile of swamp shit. <laughs> like, like, hopefully it doesn't stink. You know, I'm right. sure it does. Um, maybe he'll like that. I think Peter Not Parker's the face. So, people like to say Peter Parker's bisexual he might like it it smells like captain america so Uh, (laughs) when he screams not the face i'm pretty sure that means uh -uh. (laughs) no when peter parker goes into the dreamscape and that is the start of chapter six mutualistic mayhem and i like how the the eye is like a little calmer now Mm -hmm. in like the picture it's like you're getting more and more of like the human side yeah i again i love the art i love the art Oh, they are spectacular. I just gotta say, this whole interaction with him and the doctor is like pure Peter Parker. I really like how Steve Orlando writes him. I'm like, I know Nick Spencer's writing the book, but whenever Nick Spencer's done, let's get Steve Orlando Spider Man. Yeah, like, yeah. This was good. Yeah, the entire storyline in this feels really natural. And it, it honestly feels like you're getting to know um, some of the characters and some of the things that actually, you know, push them. The fact that lizard was able to express that yeah spider-man did help him that he was going through a lot um that he was stuck in his own head and spider-man actually helped talk him into doing better that that's like a major improvement over the usual vitriol that uh lizard has for spider-man so it was really nice to see this being done exactly exactly i i love the when he tells him to sit down kid and he's like, I'm older than you. It's like, oh, yo, that this. shit was no. funny as hell. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. I'm like, I like it. I like a joke. I like when people write a really like well refined, jokingly, but still kind of like dad jokingly Spider Man because Spider Man's been around for a while and he's smart, so he gets like the good jokes. They're still yeah. corny as shit, but they're good. 
So, <laughs> uh, if they weren't corny, I, I don't know if I. It wouldn't be the same. You know, it's got, it's, got, it's got to be corny. It's got to be corny. Peter Parker was a really good choice to have this type of talk because Peter is definitely a character that has known so many characters. He could definitely understand different perspectives especially with like the perspective of what what like the lizard been through and then by but by them choosing to have peter have a conversation with him um he was able to kind of give that the right amount of advice like he's not too pushy and he's because he's a at the end of the day he's a very respectful character so i thought it was the perfect character to do that towards the end i definitely agree i because you know big speeches captain america's good at them peter parker's good at them but also in a selling aspect captain america and peter parker sell cap tried to push him Mm -hmm. to do better be better whatever whereas peter man gave him or peter man (laughs) peter man wow (laughs) spider man yeah we're having that moment today spider man gave him the option and and like dude you you already know this place inside and out you have the ability and you know you do but you you got to choose to do and you can either choose to do or you can choose to do nothing that is that is entirely up to you so those are your options do what you will with it and so at that point instead of um you know giving him this big push go do the thing which of course always results in the (laughs) i can't emo reaction um instead it was just the shit now i gotta uh, i gotta make my own decision do i sit here and wallow or do i go and and at least try and he finally picked try so yay yay i hope (laughs) right so i mean Slider-Man, peter parker uh, peter man does (laughs) come out of the stasis and not gonna leave that down for a while (laughs) nope peter man is a thing A Peter Man is forever in our senses. We will be Peter, Peter Man. Peter <laughs> Man. Oh yeah, Family Guy. I was like, what? Um, so Man Thing does come back, and he does reform, and he absorbs all the fiery little like plant bug thingies that are super fucking creepy. Oh yeah, and the little drones. Oh god, those things were just they're yeah. so crazy. They're so disgusting, but they also like are really cool. Um, right. I love how the lizard yells Stalus. Or Stalus, or whatever his name is. Stalus. Yeah, he looks like Godzilla, kind of, in that picture. And I was like, oh, look, it's Godzilla in, like, a little bitty form. That's cool. <laughs> Godzuki. <laughs> but now it's a man thing in all his glory and his tusks and everything. And then he leaves. And they're like, what the yeah. fuck? And they're like, down. <laughs> right. oh, like, that the panel video? where they show man thing and he's kind of towering over them. I absolutely love that like that's probably my favorite uh, one of my favorite panels in that issue for sure mm-hmm. yeah because lizard is pretty tall already <laughs> so for him mm-hmm. to tower over i really like that depiction oh definitely yeah. i think a lot of people forget how big man thing is he's like he's almost the size of the hulk he's massive and yeah so yeah seeing him not only tower over lizard but also tower over captain america and then just you get tiny little peter parker there <laughs> just, <laughs> it, it it was uh, like it, uh, 
I just a again love the artwork. I cannot even get over it, yeah, I mean, and I love I love the lettering that, that also goes with it because you can really hear what's going on. But yeah, just like oh my god, it's like yeah, where why is he he disappeared? What in the hell? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I mean between the the lettering, the different lettering, and when the lizard speaks, and then the texture, the complex textural component that the man thing has in his art, it just mm-hmm. really brings the comic book together. I feel like, and yeah. they don't like even like the the scales on the lizard in this panel mm-hmm. is really done well it's not just all focused on a man thing and it really shows that they're really like showing attention to everything to put everything together mm-hmm. i really appreciate that it really helps bring a comic book together and not just like i don't know what i'm trying to say but it's nice <laughs> like i was i was trying to formulate it but i don't know but well, it makes it makes everything feel so much more real when they pay attention to those small details. And then, oh God, yeah, we get to see Man Thing go back to his, I guess, his old office or the old lab that he was uh, working at originally. Yeah, yeah, we see like no, I like that we get that panel Black Panther and Miles Morales working together. By the way, oh Super yeah, awesome Black icons working together. There we go. But <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, then the the lizard are Dr. Connors now that he's, he's transforming back is like you know I don't think he would just run away he would like well he's running away but like he wouldn't run away just for like no reason um, so yeah he went back to his office back to where he knows and it looks like he's trying to do a ritual again because like we did we did get a hint when he's talking to Captain America or was it was it the Dr. Connors I forget which one I believe it was Captain America though when he said he made a deal with the devil and actually no it was Dr. Connors yeah he said he made a deal with the devil because he uh, couldn't like his wife already sacrificed enough because you know they weren't making enough money and blah blah blah. yeah and so he, he couldn't make that formula add up he couldn't make two plus two equal five mm-hmm. and i like the double panel we get of like how he you know did it when back then and how he's doing it now as man thing mm-hmm. so it's a nice parallel i, I really like, love really that cool. yeah it, it was a, it was a great parallel between man and monster and they were doing the exact same things and it it really had impact it resonated like had to, literally had to make a deal with the devil the first time have to go back and do it again so yeah it was oh, so well done and when so. they smashed the little i guess soul ball thing mm-hmm. i think it's that's a soul ball because that looks like some of the things that magic had which she's gonna come well, yeah up, it, it's it's kind of like it's a it's a sacrifice mm-hmm. like just happening to know this from you know witchcraft uh, <laughs> all that kind of other good stuff um you know as you see he has to bleed on this orb mm-hmm. it is a you know it's it's a giving of oneself it's you know kind of like paying somebody to show up you know when yeah. you order when you order from doordash you gotta pay the price first so this is kind of like that they're paying that price first and (laughs) you know it kind of reminded me of um i think it might have been when pixie was getting her soul back and there was kind of like that circular thing they had those red it were red balls that were like split of the soul Mm -hmm. the soul balls yeah and it's funny Mm -hmm. it looks practically the same Yep. That definitely brings up oh before I get to that, I just want to point out speaking of the art, when they are both like side by side smashing it and it's that like division page, the color in that like that full page is just so magnificent. Yeah. I it's breathtaking. Like, the color so is 
all the claps to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that took some time. <laughs> like, and those are those are not easy colors to uh, work with side by side. Um, you know, like yeah, sometimes you have Christmas and whatnot, but having that much um, having that much of those colors on a page and not having your characters just kind of lose definition or or have just everything seem kind of muddy. Like, oh, it's so it's so well done. Like, honestly, it's so well done. I love I love some of these pages like so so much because they have this really nice solid impact and really gets you to pay attention to that you know what's going on you get invested when you see these oh definitely definitely I definitely agree I and that I mean that brings up to Robbie's other point and something you were about to say Raven was in that the soul it did look like a soul ball and I believe it was a soul ball because look who appears Liliana <laughs> Rasputin aka Magic speak of the devil and she shall appear <laughs> i love it i love it so freaking much i i honestly can't wait and it made so much sense for her to show up seeing as she's the queen of limbo mm-hmm. yeah exactly i that's i was wondering how they were going to tie magic into this and i should have figured as soon as he said sell your soul to the devil i was like oh magic's gonna be in this somehow because it's you know but i mean for, magic. <laughs> for, for all we know it could have been mephisto it could oh, have yeah. been the hell Strums. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't necessarily assume magic right away. Oh, yeah. But, I don't think he oh. sold his soul to magic, but I think she's going right. to help him, like, get it mm-hmm. back. Because, mm-hmm. you know, she knows a little thing about getting souls back. <laughs> so, right. just a little bit. But they do make her look fantastic. So, I'm super excited about the, the next issue, which is the last issue, the X Men issue. Because, yes. man, we get to see so many of these X Men or mutants in general that mm-hmm. we don't usually see in this fantastic art. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I cannot wait. I, mm, uh, I want to see it. I want to see it so bad. Give it to me now. Now, now. <laughs> <Rabby> hands. <laughs> Robbie, what are your final thoughts for this uh, Peter Man and the Curse of the Man thing <laughs> issue? Uh, overall, I really liked it. Um, I really did like the balancing of a bunch of characters. Because kind of like in the beginning, we kind of have like sort of like a fade out-ish of the Avengers, even though they kind of keep captain america throughout it and then we kind of get a bunch of you know the spider characters but then they focus on spider-man but then it's kind of nice because then like towards the end ish we see that little glimpse of uh black panther and miles and that's kind of like a little reminder that the avengers are still out there and then towards the end we with the introduction of magic it was really like carefully placed um transitions for like the different like three books kind of like in the middle which is so fucking hard to do and but steve orlando did really good with that and of course i really like the art and and also i really like the like the, the uh the moments of humor they were very carefully placed like it wasn't like too many jokes and it wasn't too serious at all and i mm-hmm. really like that a lot yeah they had they had a good balance between dramatic uh and comical mm-hmm. effect which you would expect with like spider-man um and they were still very much able to get both levity and gravity into the same uh into the same storyline or into the same book and it didn't feel like either one was uh, being pushed or either one was lacking so that's i know that can be a very very difficult thing to do and they did really well 
Definitely. I definitely agree. Uh, Raven, I don't know if you wanted to give last thoughts uh, since you just did that, but <laughs> you got any more last thoughts? <laughs> uh, honestly, Robbie so succinctly like covered oh. exactly what I was thinking. Shucks. So yeah, that was like, that was my only, that was my only thought process that came up. And I'm just, yeah, no, you said exactly, you said exactly what I was thinking. Oh, there was one thing uh, I thought. Um, I kind of expected to see um, Miss H more in this issue. Because she kind of, I mean, who knows? She might be in like 80% of like the X-Men one. But um, Mm -hmm. I definitely expect, I mean, it wasn't bad because I did Mm -hmm. like all the scenes. But I was kind of a little thrown off that we only got like a few panels of her, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely understand that. I feel like the first issue was more heavy her, and then this issue was more heavy man thing, and then mm-hmm. maybe the last issue is going to be a combination of the two. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. Oh, it's only like they, a big part thing. They have to have another. I think they have to have another throwdown. Yeah, I, oh, I, yeah. I'd be, I'd be. Not upset, but I'd be like really disappointed and a little confused <laughs> if they did not have them have to get back and you know like either do another go around um, on a on a psychological level on on the on the dreamscape level that'd be awesome mm-hmm. um, or at least on the physical plane because the first time she she punched his ass yeah. she knocked him straight out of his body so it'd be interesting to see. Salas, who's now more in control, actually fight her. Mm. And yeah. her spellification 